Welcome to A Pint with Shawnee B, another episode. Thank you all for your messages of support and your likes. Uh, please continue to share it if you can, if you have time. And if you have even more time, it would be great if you could leave a review on iTunes. For some reason, they like to get reviews or they like podcasts that have been receiving reviews. Anyway, we're going well. Uh, the numbers are rising and that's all thanks to you. So thank you very much for that. Today's episode comes from Paris, a great guest, Glenn Condy, a guy I've known for many years. He has been enormously successful in the advertising business but he's also a deep thinker and a guy who's got a lot of wisdom and advice to share. He's uh, very frank in this interview about his life, and I think it's, uh, it's, it's one of the great ones. So without further ado, I give you Glenn Condy from Paris. I'd start, Glenn, by asking you, what do you do now? Well, I suppose I'd call myself a filmmaker. Right. Um, I'm, I've just completed my third television series. Mm-hmm. I'm currently working on my first film for sort of theatrical cinema release. So maybe you've got to do the film before you call yourself a filmmaker. No, but I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> so we first met probably in Sydney in about, I would say, 97 or 8 at, at an agency called BAM when you were just leaving. One of the other questions I like to ask people is, what were the formative years of your life and how did you get into advertising? What was sort of, you know, poignant things that happened to you that, that, that got you into the game in the first place? Strangely, I'd never spent a minute thinking about advertising as a young adult. And I was at rugby training. I played many years for a, for a club in Sydney called Warringah. And at the time, I was, I wouldn't say lost, but I was sort of working out what I was trying to do. And I was then a stonemason's labourer and a bricklayer. I that. So I used to carry rocks for a living, you know, the thought being that that it'd keep you nice and strong for rugby on Saturday. And a mate of mine, knowing that I'd done pretty well at school and I was kind of not doing much with my life at that point, mentioned that he knew a company, an advertising company, who were looking for people. The next day I rang at 11 o'clock to see if I could send them my CV, which was quite barren, as you would expect. They agreed to an interview. I had to be there at one, which was two hours later. I was on the northern beaches of Sydney, and they were in Surrey Hills in, in the city. What agency was it? It was then called AIS Media. Right. So it was okay. a media company, which I was right. completely ill-suited Doug to. Was there, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, so they, I had two hours, so I had to drive out of my workplace where I was carrying rocks. Have a shower. Have a shower, drive to Ringham Mall, yeah. buy the first suit I ever owned. Really? I think the white shirt still had the box on it, so I couldn't <laughs> take my took take my jacket off. I got to the interview at one o'clock. It was two hours. Mm-hmm. And when I got home at four, my mum, I was living with my parents, yeah. um, had a message for me that I'd got the job. And wow. this was a Friday and I started on Monday. So Thursday night at, say, 8 p.m., I'd never one thought into advertising in my life and I started at 9am the next month. And what were were they hiring you as, like a copywriter? I think I was just below the guy that collected the the waste tins and emptied them into the garbage. I was was like the junior, junior, junior person. Right. Um, From memory, I used to get reams and reams of paper from the stations, from the networks in Australia. Yeah. And then reams and reams of paper from our own company. And my job was to cross-match the spots that were booked on television with the ones that the station had in their logs. I was so ill-suited to it. And the people there were so wonderful that I think, I basically think they just kept me on for for what turned out to be three years just to make dick jokes. 
<laughs> I'm pretty sure that if they had, if I had been senior enough to get a card at the time, which I wasn't, I was yeah. a long way from that. It would have said Glenn Condy, Dick Jug, mate. Head of Dick Jugs. Head of Dick Jugs. <laughs> and then where did you go? Uh, where did you go from there? Like so. So how did you know you wanted to do the creative side? Because media companies are not, you know. I was very good at creative writing at mm-hmm. school, and, right? And um, and I did art for years at school, and I really enjoyed that. So. I thought that maybe I had somewhat of a predisposition towards the creative side. I grew yeah. up with a wonderful mother and father who were quite artistic. But what became very evident was the analytical side was not for not me. So I suppose it was as much as having an idea of what I thought I might be good at and then discovering all the things I certainly could not be good at um, that, that drove me in that direction. I then moved over to a bigger agency called Lintas, I think yeah, it was called. Low Lintas, yeah. I think it's called Low Now, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, where I did a couple of years, and that was terrific, and I, pro- I think I worked at McCann Erickson somewhere in the middle. And then I quit, and I, from memory I did a year travelling around Europe, surfing. Um, lived in Spain for a while. Went back, worked at the agency where we crossed um, over yeah. at BAM. And then in 99, I think it was, I started my my first agency you've always been a guy who every time I meet you you're doing something you don't you don't give a shit about the bullshit of the business you, you you're creative but you're a guy who's been able to make money you've driven businesses and built them up and sold them what made you think I'm gonna open my own business I think that there's probably three key ingredients that you need to, to start your own business and sort of make a fist of it you need to be naive enough to not know what's coming next because if you kind of knew what you had to go through I suspect that you might balk you probably have to have a really big helping of (laughs) self-belief that's probably something I had a little bit too much of back then because you need to hear yes when everybody says no yeah it borders on delusion (laughs) in many instances but where was the drive to go you know what I'm pulling out of the business I'm going to go for myself my drive for many many years which I think was a which was one of my greatest faults, but also enabled me to do okay, was that I measured my own self-worth based on what other people thought. And I came from a very modest sort of upbringing. You know, mum brought up three boys on supporting mother's benefit, and we grew up in a really nice area, but we didn't have very much, and we were sort of... My, myself and my brothers were exposed... And my one of my close friends were exposed to people that had a lot and a lot of opportunities and didn't have to worry so much about their life. We didn't have a safety net kind of thing. And so for me, a lot of it was just trying to prove myself to the world that I was at least as good as other people or even better. You know, I remember a lot of words would come into my head like, you know, watch this, watch what I'm going to do because I can do it better. And one of the reasons I left to start my own company was there was myself and a guy called David Ellsworth, who you know, who went on to to run Coke in Japan, not the drug, the fizzy drink. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everyone keeps getting that mixed up. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know if you can say running coke. Yeah, I snorted a can of coke once. <laughs> <laughs> Got the ice cubes yeah. caught in my throat. Yeah. Um, and we used to, we were, we were junior and we were bouncing out of our skin with enthusiasm and exuberance to do well. And we'd go into these meetings with these kind of older guys who were maybe a little bit more cynical and a little bit... Jaded. Jaded. And, yeah. you know, they'd continually say we really appreciate your opinion but we're going to do it this way yeah. and I think that Dave and I got to a point where we went you're just wrong yeah 
Like, we think you're wrong. Yeah. And, and it dawned on us that the only way to get what we wanted, particularly when we were only in our mid-20s or yeah. you know, late 20s, was to go and do our own thing. Because yeah. certainly in Sydney at that time in the 90s, you had to be of a certain age to kind mm. of get into that middle upper management, regardless of how yeah. much talent you had. It took starting our own place. And, and then once we did that, I think that, look, you know, whilst we did well... If you didn't make money in the late nineties and two thousands, yeah. you know, I think yeah. Blind Freddy could have done that. Oh, um, not so sure. No, it was, no. but it was a time of you know extraordinary yeah, growth. Yeah. You know, yeah. right up to say two thousand and eight, and um, and we were doing a new thing. You know, we were doing much more innovative and un, you know non conventional style of advertising and. You know, CRM. So, what was the what was the the crux of it? Was it was a lot of experiential? Yeah, I mean, I think it was based. It was mainly just taking an unconventional approach to things, right. doing a lot more things in real life. This is before we had, you know, digital platforms. Yeah. People were pretty jaded and, or just didn't notice a lot of television advertising. Yeah. And, you know, we kind of found more unique and interesting ways to kind of grab people's attention. And some of those campaigns, luckily enough, went global and a lot of people saw them. And once you strike a name for yourself, you know, yeah. people really pay attention and you get big clients. And we were lucky enough to win some really big ones. But that all changed, I think, when when I lost my mother. I think it was probably the first time I... What year was that? That was 2003. Right. 2003. It didn't happen overnight. You know, she was pretty young and she was, you know, one of the great heroes in my life. Yeah. Um, who gave me so much. And she was a really educated woman. You know, she, she quit school at 14 to help... And you've been successful while she was alive, right? You had such a business I think up. I was just kind of get, getting right. okay. And one of the people I really wanted to prove myself yes. to was her, yeah, of course. Yeah. But mum had left school at 14, worked her whole life, brought up three kids by home, went back to high school when she, you know, when I was probably 12, in her late 30s, and then proceeded to spend 12 years at university studying communism, socialism, oh. linguistics and law. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of art stuff as well. A lot of art Paris. stuff you as said well. She, you said to me the other day you lo- she'd love to have been in Paris. And she loved, you know, she never got to yeah. Europe. He's but she, she, I've you know, lived in Europe for quite a while now, and I bet she could tell you lots more about Europe than I could. You're carrying <laughs> her mantle a bit, right? Uh, I hope so, I hope yeah. so. So I think that, you know, that was a big reality check. Another friend of mine, my best friend, who's been my best friend my whole life, Tony, he came to me one day in the mid-2000s, and he said the sentence to me that if we met today, we wouldn't be friends. Wow. And that was really sobering. And, and I, Why did he say that? I think I just got carried away with myself. Um I would have always said you had a humility about you. And and, and, and and it's lovely to hear that. But I think maybe the people closest to me right. kind of probably could see things a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe expect a little bit more of me. Do you think m- making so much money, because you, you, you made money quickly, right? You, 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 you built those businesses really quickly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I'll certainly <laughs> never be an incredibly rich person. But, yeah, they, they built quickly. And, you know, suddenly, for the first time in your life, you're able to buy nice things and, yeah. you know, eat at nice places. Yeah. And, and I probably, never having had a great deal, probably threw it around a little bit more and showed off with Were you building the businesses to sell them? Was that your kind of goal? In my experience, the people I've watched set out to try and definitively just make money don't do so well, but people that set out to do really good work. Yeah. Um, and that sounds like a horrible cliche, and it probably is. But in our instance, um, and I had, two, I had two wonderful, wonderful business partners, mm. Todd and Cameron, we gen- genuinely set out to do good work. And yeah. when you do that, the money tends to come. And so 
when when mum died and when when my friend Tony said that to me, I kind of took a reality check and I started trying to figure myself out a bit more and you know become become something different. Once I stopped proving myself to the world to to get a better better value for my own self worth, my drive diminished enormously. The thing that actually probably helped me be a little bit successful. But the flip side is that is I became much more comfortable with myself as a person. But you also channeled it probably in a different way, right? Probably channeled it in a very different How soon way. after you set up did you sell? Because Martin Sorrell bought your business, right? Yeah, it was actually through the local arm of WPP, which is STW in Australia. I left the business in 2008, right. remained you know, uh, a shareholder. And I think we sold about 2011, 2012. So that would be about 12 or 13 years after. You set it up. We set it up, right. yeah. Yeah, we set it up. So... Um, you know, we did our we did our time. Yeah, people say what what's the you know secret of success? Go to work eighty hours a week yeah. <laughs> or a hundred hours a week yeah. for a decade, and yeah. then catch your breath, look back, and you've probably done okay. You know, we were never much bigger than I don't know thirty, forty people, whatever mm. it was. Mm. Um, but we had some great people, very very young staff. Yeah, who I think that we encouraged and encouraged them to speak up and. And as stupid as inexperience can sometimes sound, the flip side of that is, you know, they think of things that you wouldn't ever think of, yes. and that's such a wonderful thing for a business yeah. to have, particularly if you've got a couple of older heads and some checks and balances in place to make sure people don't fall off cliffs. Yeah. So then when we sold, you know, you have this incredible financial freedom that, again, I'd never had yeah. or experienced before. Had I have not experienced things like the death of my mum and my friend, you know, really telling me to pull my head in I may have gone and you know bought expensive things and become a complete shaft but for me it made me focus in on what did I really want to do mm-hmm. I had some great friends in the TV business mm-hmm. um, making comedy as part of a originally a job for for one of our clients we made a web series which went on to be on TV and get us nominated for a um, what was that called for an Emmy award uh, that was called the Great Crusade Emmy? what was it called yeah the Great Crusade okay yeah, so we won a gold line at Cannes that year wow. and we got nominated for an Emmy award and and that was um, that was pretty amazing I got to work with that's great, straight off the bat that was, that was my first one yeah <laughs> that said I had a guy standing next to me a guy called Gregor Jordan who's yeah. a wonderful Australian and were you guy. producing writing what were you what was um, your look I was certainly helping a lot in the creative process but EPing, right. know, created, getting it done. It was originally my idea. Worked on it with Gregor, so I really had my hand held through the process by yeah. a pretty great guy who'd been in Hollywood making huge films. And it just so happened that it was about rugby, and he's a rugby nut as well. So, yeah. you know, we met. We met at a barbecue. Right. You know, we'd spoke for two hours before either of us knew what we did. Yeah. Just about surfing and um, and rugby, and no doubt girls. And so I was really lucky, and that moved me into my second series, TV series, and then there was another and. You know, then you start being exposed to some really great people and you're coming up with ideas together. And, and now, as I said earlier, we've just had our first cinema movie, Greenlit, um, which hopefully will be in cinemas in 2017. So that, that's one part of it. And the second part of it is I moved away from Australia. I had lived overseas before for, for short stints. You know, I live in Paris. I moved to Paris where I didn't know a soul. Why did you leave? Um, I was... Oh, this is going to sound terrible. I, I and let me start by let me temper this by saying I'm very proud Australian, yeah. that loves Australia, but I was sick of the place. Just like I know you're a very proud Irishman. Well, same as Dublin. Dublin got yeah. a bit m- yeah. mucky for a while, and I found it quite small-minded. Yeah, there's a lot of people. I'm very different, and again, this is probably where we both have something in common: is that I don't have children. You know, yeah. I'm 43 years old. Yeah. 
um, I don't have the same objectives in life yeah you know as, as, as a lot of my friends and people kind of don't get that they mm. kind of say to you things like oh but wait till you have kids your life yeah. will never be the same it's yeah. like well I really like how it is yeah and I don't want it to change I'm exactly the same we yeah. were talking about this the other night uh you you were empathizing with me when I said like if I died tomorrow like yeah people would go oh we well, kind of enjoyed him he was fun but like no skin off anyone's nose be a speed hump they wouldn't have driven <laughs> off a cliff exactly <laughs> yeah. past the peanuts What's, what, yeah, what yeah, movie yeah. are we going to tonight dear exactly but I like I mean I'm the same I like you know like I made a decision I've talked about this when I was about 17 not to not to do drugs not to get married not to have kids and I kind of stuck to them I don't know how I managed to yeah, do yeah. that but the not having kids thing is it's, I don't believe it's for everyone and I think we're forced into a little bit and the brave amongst us manage to survive having them and I know people who've had kids and they're great yeah. and it has changed their life yeah. but they're expensive little blighters and, yeah. and the, the, the freedom it's given me to you know, be a pirate and drive, fly around the world and visit countries and I mean you surf nearly every place as a wave yeah, yeah, right? yeah. I mean look I think I'm different in terms of I never made any decisions mm. kind of I like to play what's in front of me and I'm not a big planner and I think that that's the way my life worked out and certainly maybe I've guided it in certain directions because I do have that love of freedom and maybe I get to do all the things that maybe my parents didn't yeah. subconsciously maybe that's something that drives my decision making I don't know um, I'm certainly not that analytical in terms of trying to delve into that kind of stuff too much but what I would say is that you know I've been to 24 countries in the last 12 months um, I, as I said I moved to Paris I knew one person yeah, and um, Tao. Tao, and his birthday is yesterday. It was fiftieth birthday. Was party tonight. Yeah. Absolutely right. <laughs> and I didn't speak a word of French. Yeah. Um, like when I lived in Spain, Spain, I didn't know any Spanish. That's given me some incredibly rich experiences. I think that a life like that, you have the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. It's like, yeah, like did you get lonely? I had some horrible, you know, horrible. Yeah. I, I remember some mornings waking up on Monday morning and knowing I had dinner with Tal on Friday night and nothing in between, wow. which forces you to do a few things. Firstly, go and discover the city. Yeah, you know, there's 648 art galleries in in Paris, and I've been to 102 so far. Right, brilliant. Um, you have to go into bars, coffee shops, and just start talking to people. Yeah, um, and you and now I've got a great circle of friends yeah. that are Parisians and you know we, we, I was sitting at a dinner table the other day and you know with a bunch of my friends and you know one's Flemish and one's from Lebanon and there's another English guy and there's three people from Paris and yeah. and it's and going back to leaving Australia that's an incredibly rich you know you're not just talking about someone's five year old birthday party as much as I adore that family and that five year old yeah. and you're not just talking about the things you've maybe talked to these people about had nausea. Well, I mean, it got. I mean, during Howard's, well, this was you know the Howard reign, and it got very wealthy. You know, people, it got very wealthy. And Dublin, the same thing happened in Dublin. And you, the great thing about Dublin is the hangdog, underdog nature of actually we can always have a pint. You know, yeah, yeah, have yeah. a chat and a sing song. And I think you were even saying Sydney, you know, it was all about housing and yeah. look at my new car and look at my beautiful. I wasn't life. capable of having another conversation about real estate prices in Sydney. And I'm certainly not bashing people or countries up, but I mean, it's abhorrent the way that we're treating refugees. Yeah. And I didn't think I could live in a place like that. You know, I'd have great friends, and these are really terrific people that live in 250 square meter houses with that again as a yard, yeah. saying we have to move out because it's not big enough for our two kids. <laughs> 
the average Parisian family of two kids grows up in a 60 or 70 yeah. square metre apartment. Yeah. So this is just this is rubbish. Um, but also, I think one of the really big holes is that in Europe, and particularly in France, you cannot get through the education system without studying philosophy at some point. Wow. It's just not possible, right. to, my, to my understanding. You would never study philosophy in an Anglo-Saxon country, unless you're maybe in the third year of university and yeah. you take it as a specific elective. Yeah. Now, we're going to have computers. I'll teach us to count. We'll yeah. probably never need to count anymore. Yeah. You know, mathematics is not so relevant as it was maybe 50 years ago in school. However, we never embark on how to think. Yeah. And I think it's an enormous hole in the psyche of Anglo-Saxon countries. Yeah. Um, and maybe others that don't as well. I think that... It's a big insight because I think... I haven't heard that before, and I think it's... I've only scratched the surface of interrogating the way I'm able to think. And Was that one of the reasons you came to Paris? Just the uh, sophistication that's here? And I don't know if it was that. I, 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 I tend not to do so much analysis yeah. on what I'm... I kind of act much more intuitively. Yeah. You know, I'm like, fuck, it's Paris. Yeah. I walk around. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, some of my friends at home say, my God, why on earth would you live in Paris? Have you been there? Yeah, yeah. Walk around, look up. Yeah. And then tell me why on earth you yeah, never want to yeah, leave. Yeah. Um, you know, there's obviously some incredible things about Australia yeah. that I miss, but yeah. like every city you live in, as you well know, there's pluses and minuses, and if the pluses are bigger than the minuses for any more point in time, then you yeah. want to stay. So, but going back to, to thinking, if somebody like... Ourselves, people like ourselves have just scratched the t- surface in terms of interrogating their own thought process, cognitive processes. And we have, an, we have a real reason to do that. For people yeah. that don't, yeah. you know, they're going to have so little comprehension of, of why they behave in the way they do. So when you do talk about mass media influencing people's thoughts and all that kind of stuff, it just makes so simple sense to me. And maybe I'm oversimplifying things. No, um, I agree. I mean, that if you're taught to think better, I mean, I'm you know I'm so critical on organised religion or any religion. Many many people that maybe a little bit more confident in their own thinking Mm. kind of abandon faith. Just like you know, we thought thought the world was flat until we sailed around it. And, I mean, there's certainly absolutely no evidence. No, and those things are then abandoned. So and show me some evidence yeah. and I might start thinking. And it's it. so amazing that we've disproved so many things in organised religion and the church tends to go, ah, yeah, you're right. It is round, it is round after all. Or, there is no limbo. There is, you know, or whatever well, What about all the dead babies? <laughs> but, yeah, but then they kind of get on with it. It doesn't get torn yeah, down. And look, I understand back in the day dot, there needed to be some sort of carrot and stick to keep people from total anarchy but now we've got to this enlightened point do we really yeah. need those kind of how, how do you feel about the future of the world like in a big macro sense for somebody like me who I much prefer change and uh, what my old boss an old boss of mine used to call constant white water um, what does that mean Oh, just you know, everything's always changing there's no right. still lakes, you can't okay. control okay. what's around you. you you're just part of right the it. chaos and you kind of figure it, write it as you go. I'm so comfortable in that and I feel like the world will only become more and more as, you know, the pace of change increases and and all those things that if I was born today, I'd be incredibly excited. Um, I wish I could live for a, maybe we'll be able to, maybe someone will invent a pill. You know, I remember when we first got email and, you know, you like me, we didn't have email in our first jobs. I didn't even have a computer in my first job. Your people would say... I'll be able to do my five-day week in a day and a half. Yeah. You know, or two Paperless. Days. 
papers, yeah. which is wonderful if they then took the next three days off. Yeah. But instead what happened is you just start doing two weeks work in a week yeah. and then three weeks and then four weeks. And as a society, and I suppose, you know, this goes back to everybody's thirst for money and, yeah. you know, success. We just want to do more and more and more and more and more. And I think that if you work really hard for more than a couple of years or a few years, you've got to stop because if creative stuff has to come out, then at some point it's got to go in. And if you're going to work 80 hours a week, there ain't much going in. When I left the business <clears throat> and I took two years out, you know, to write, ostensibly to write, I wrote a play, but one of the things that just struck me was how insignificant the whole thing was. And yeah. the amount of hours, as you say, talking on conference calls and about nothing, about like jam or something that's just like, how, how, how do we say, should we say it's extra strawberry or fruitier strawberry? You know, when you step clear of it, you go, the lack of importance to this. Yeah. Plus, by the way, in a bigger issue, the more amount of time and effort and brains and money that is spent doing this thing that doesn't need all that attention and doesn't need all, necessarily all that money and probably could be going to better use for the world brain power and I know it's a big right, bit right on but you know what I mean it, this whole idea that the, the creativity and the talent that is wasted I think in the yeah. I mean I think that in a, I mean and maybe this is my mum speaking I'm just a mouthpiece but in a capitalist system you are always going to reward financially unimportant things you know like as you quite rightly say there's some brilliant talented people that work in creating things to sell things to people that they don't really want yeah. you know, effectively that's what yeah. we're doing whilst I read in the Guardian this week that junior doctors are being employed across Britain on a starting wage of £22,000 a year yeah. I mean something's way upside down yeah. when and a, teachers and nurses when, and a, when a first year copywriter is probably getting £35,000 yeah. you know and, and teachers and nurses which are the yeah. ob obvious examples so the the world is upside down in that respect. That said, in a capitalist system, that it can only be that way because mm. the things that generate revenue are the ones that are going to be able to pay better and attract better talent and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I can't see that changing in a hurry. And regulation doesn't seem to, you know, it works to a point. But as we've seen, complete regulation in a socialist or communist-style system is going to break down at the hands yeah. of um, human self-interest. And so you're always going to have these really unimportant things that you talk about ad nauseum. And as you say, you come out of an eight-hour day and all you've accomplished is deciding you've word, used the word juicy rather than... Yeah, fruity. Fruity <laughs> on a jam label. Yeah. Um, and, but, but I think that's a really great process to go through because as a human being, if you can then question that and say, well, you know... And like I said, when I, when I lost my mum, you go, well... Tell me what part of that she'd be really proud of. You know, I think that what attracted me to um, to, to television first and, and, and now films is just being able to tell a story mm. that people may or may not like. You know, mm. there's a pretty great feeling when you watch somebody watching something that you've done yeah. and laughing, smiling, crying. The right place. You know, and I've had experienced a tiny, tiny fraction of that, and hopefully we get to experience more. But that's a great feeling. And much like I used to be terribly jealous of... I grew up amongst a lot of trades people. Yeah. Um, you know, plumbers and mm. bricklayers and all these kinds of people. And, and I had there was these two kids at the beach, or when I say kids, people my age. And very early they became carpenters and then builders. And they'd stand back and look at a house. Yeah. You know, I built that house. And it'll be there forever. And they'll be there forever, yeah. you know, for 50 Until the years apocalypse, or, at least. Whatever. <laughs> and... Um, and I, I never, I've never experienced what that feeling's like, but I imagine it's a pretty great one. Yeah. For me, just 
being able to create something that people wanted. That's meaningful, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the What's the new wanted. movie about? Tell us about that. Um, it's a romantic comedy, and as a 43-year-old, never-married single man, yeah. I'm the perfect person to, you know, <laughs> to make a romantic comedy. But I'm very lucky. I've got to... Um, it, was, it was really the work of myself and a couple of friends, mm-hmm. um, Miranda and Josh. It's been a great experience so far. You know, um, getting the point where the project's greenlit. From here on, you know, making it yeah. is going to be a great experience too. It's like a house because I, I mean, I made one with Tony Redman, and you have you, at the very least you have a DVD of a movie you make, and you yeah, know, yeah. it didn't really set the world on fire, but I'm quite proud of it. You know, yeah, and it was yeah, a yeah. thing that we did. So what 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 else is in the future for you? Do you like you said you don't you, you like to take the the bat, the ball as it comes to you? So are you just going to keep? allowing life to take you wherever it takes you or do you have any master plan or I certainly don't have any master plan you know after I make the first film if it does well maybe there's a second maybe there's a third maybe it's like no financier would ever talk to me again I don't know yeah. um, I doubt that <laughs> I, I have not as well but I think that that's kind of the short term one you know to be to be quite frank my working hours are pretty not that much you know I get to sort of bounce around the world as it kind of takes my fancy yeah which I enjoy enormously. You know, what would you say to someone like it's you know someone who's the young you today coming at coming at it? What would you what would be like some of the things that you you pass on to these people or any regrets that you've had that you would have done differently? I've had a couple of moments in my career that done over I'd probably do a little bit differently. I've said some pretty awful things that I'd probably like to take back. I don't think I've ever slighted. I, in fact, I know I've never slighted done the wrong thing by ripped off people I've certainly had many situations where myself and someone else had looked at it differently had different opinions and that's fine but um, I've certainly there's nobody I need to apologise to which is great the question was though what would I say to a young man the only thing I'd probably say to myself is just relax a bit more right Um, and I think that I probably wouldn't be the first person to say that I you know that said had I relaxed a bit more then maybe or not I wouldn't have got to some of the places I had well, what does your friend say to you now does he feel that you've oh, correct, yeah. course corrected yeah absolutely, absolutely. I, look what he, a great friend to have he's, yeah. he is a great friend and, and, and Tony his name's Tony Sycamore from the age of probably 15 he wanted you know 2.3 kids yeah and a white picket fence yeah and that was it yeah. you know, this guy's a talented guy you know he was a foreign exchange stock market sort yeah. of guy and he's done very well. He's got a beautiful wife who I love dearly. Two kids, you know, yeah. got children and things. Um, and he's as happy as a pig in mud. Great. You know, he absolutely got his own. I don't think he's ever understood mine. Yeah. But he certainly has a healthy respect. My for best it. friend as well, Mick Hennigan, who, who is very similar. You know, he 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 has you know, three kids and yeah. wife. And he's actually just moved to Paris. Maybe I'll, yeah, right. I'll put you two in touch. <laughs> but but look, I have a, I have a great respect for his life and mm. what makes him happy. And I think whilst it probably took him a little bit longer purely because I'm a little bit different to most people, is that he has a healthy respect for mine. A lot of people say to you that you're living a dream and you know because you're traveling the world yeah. and you're doing fun things a lot and not working so much. And not necessarily. I got to say know. to him, it's it's not your dream, it's mine. Yeah. You know because you've got two kids who you love dearly yeah. and a wife and a nice house and you know you take your kids they think that we're really happy all the time and that we're you know partying all the time and that we don't get any lows but we get the same lows plenty of loneliness yeah. and there's yeah. lots of moments where you, you question what you've done I agree and, and you're doing it all by yourself as well yeah I agree which is something that's probably you know as you know when you have a partner that 
you might your love for instance things get a lot easier because yeah. you know may, there are some compromises but problem halved shared yeah the halved. victories are yeah. sweeter because you do them together and, yeah. the, and the pain's lessened because you know you go through it together so but both sides have their their, their positive and negatives but um, I don't think people that don't get it will ever get it I agree that they they don't understand right. the and that's okay and that's okay yeah and and I and I have absolute tolerance and respect for that it used to frustrate me enormously yeah, yeah. Till you, fo- you figure out eventually that they're never going to change, and every, everybody likes to be respected and and thought well of, and all that kind of stuff. And you know, sometimes where people can't get their head around you. And I mean, I'm certainly not some wacky, no, crazy, yeah, yeah. We're just doing it slightly differently. Just doing it slightly differently. Yeah. Anyway, that was amazing. I loved that chat, and um, next time I am over here or with this little contraption, let's try and do another one, see where you've gone to, and see where how this movie goes. Yeah. So thanks a million, Glenn Condy. See you next time. Thanks, Matt. Bye.